0: Hello, welcome back to another episode of In the Landscape. I'm one of your hosts here in studio. My name is Kate Sadler and with me is my co-host Charles. Good to be here. It is good to be here. We've, uh, we've slowed down our pace of recording just a little bit so that we're doing uh, an episode every couple of weeks. Uh, that may change. We had some uh, we had a big, big break in December, right around the holidays, but we wanted to be sure we're putting out new content for our listeners, um, and we we certainly enjoy this, and so we're we're still coming up with new episodes and, and finding ways to get good information out to our listeners. So, right,
1: we love the feedback too, where people like, oh yeah, like all the encouragement, it's fun.
0: Oh, definitely, yeah. But I mean, to even have we people appreciate that, check in on us. <laughs> We sort of went MIA for a minute there Uh, because we're not, you know, we're not obviously professional podcasters, although we hope we've put together a good show um, for for our listeners. Um, And we do run a full time landscape design business, design and care. (laughs) And you're a certified arborist, which makes up part of
1: our practice. So we're busy. I mean, we're small enough. I mean, there's only there's like a handful of people that work in the company. And we do a lot of partnering with other companies to fulfill different requirements. But when we get busy, I mean, it's all hands on deck.
0: It is all hands on deck. And sometimes busy for a business can be trying to find new business. <laughs> so.
1: Right, correct, right.
0: <laughs> so we have a lot of great projects. We're really excited to be able to do work in in a variety of, of different locations and for different um, clients with different needs. But uh, but sometimes we are in that sort of down downswing where we're like the business we're development we spend a
1: lot of time yeah. i mean i do i reach out to fellow professionals that we we partner with professionals and so i spend a fair amount of my time doing that to develop mm. because when we were physically in the northeast i mean i'd see people at conferences mm. i'd be on properties meeting the clients we're not doing that and a fair amount of business came about that way of right seeing people eye to eye
0: well, and especially because the business is supplementing or complementing what other other landscape professionals are doing. So for example, someone may have done uh, the design and installation of a beautiful project, but we're the ones coming in to help maintain it, you know, getting right. the boxwood in shape or, or rehabbing it or whatever. So Um, much like if we're on a site we may be looking at trees we don't do climbing tree work so then we're in a position to kind of pass that on to our partners in in that realm so it's that Mm -hmm. it's that kind of cool ecosystem of business building but like you said i mean it's it's been a lot different you know for obvious reasons (laughs) and
1: getting like we talked about getting our i mean there's a business like have your elevator pitch like oh yeah to describe like within a couple sentences what you do uh-huh and the developing it the business to business that's evolved i mean like now it's 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 working you know because it's getting for like a landscape architect does a d- design a landscape but explaining like what we do to help maintain that like to keep the design intent alive mm, so mm-hmm. plants don't get overgrown or plants oh, yeah. don't decline uh, and so, there's, I mean, plenty of people, landscape design professionals. They don't have that much of an interest. I mean, they do the design, and then they're on to the next project. That's uh, so it's getting the words in front of people. Now, other designers stay involved, and so they do whether it's personal or professional. They have a big interest. So I want this mm-hmm. to succeed, and they stay involved. And so it's finding it's getting the words right, right. to communicate, right. and then finding the designers. Where it's a good fit.
0: Yeah, exactly. And right. we have
1: had, like, lately, there's, there's been good success with that.
0: Very good. Uh, yeah, all right. So I'm sure some of our, our professional colleagues on here, well, maybe whatever industry you're in <laughs> can relate to, you know, uh, learning how best to communicate what it is you do and then connecting with people. Um, that's, that's a big part of, I guess, human endeavor. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, we're definitely a part of that. And... um but it all comes back for us mostly to plants, how the plants are doing, well, people and how people interact with the plants. So like business mm-hmm. is is a very interesting organizational, you know functional part of what we do, but really, what we're excited about is getting in the landscape and making sure that we have this connection with the land and with uh, with people who enjoy their landscape. So mm-hmm. that's that's what we want, most of all. Uh, to that end, today's episode is actually about a specific type of plant. I know we sometimes have episodes that range from pruning tips to design principles, and today we're going to kind of hone in on the horticulture of a specific plant type that you might want to be using in your own designs, um, specifically grasses.
1: Right. Right. They're very, I mean, very versatile. You think? Uh, What's a sustainable material? Bamboo. So you buy, whether it's flooring, I think you, I think even possibly textile, I like think fabric might even be. So bamboo is a renewable resource. It grows like a weed. It does. And <laughs> and it, well,
0: you it, want to be careful about planting it in your own yard as a design, right? Correct. Like, yes.
1: But as like a renewable resource. And so bamboo is in the grass family. Yeah. So think of baskets, you know, throughout history have been made uh, from grasses. So grass is a very large family Mm. and people have different relationships with you might think of a golf course or a park that where grass is the largest uh, quantity of plants
0: yeah and well and where we're recording which is in the United States I mean it's almost like the quintessential American residential landscape is dominated for the most part by grass in the form of mm-hmm. manicured lawns like that right. is that's how you know you've arrived if you bought you know your home in the suburbs and you have grass out front like a big lawn that's kind of doing nothing it just sort of sits there right ecologically uh, yeah. it's not beneficial and yeah. there's
1: like let's say there's fertilizers pesticides all kinds of interventions
0: Right. Well, and one of the reasons I think we wanted to talk about grasses is that they are such an ecological powerhouse. I mean, we talk about trees a lot, which have huge impact on um, oxygen production and habitat and things like that. Shade, sun, you know, cooling your home. But it it is confronting the use of grass in the traditional way um, without... There is something about the aesthetic that is like, a, a lawn is, um, you know, if you have this little cottage and the white picket fence, like, the lawn can be pleasing. Not everybody wants, like, a, a lush English garden with all of the, the, you know, flowers or um, hedges. And um, and so it's, like, thinking about grasses in a way that is not just negative. Like, oh, right. rip out your lawn. Um, like but, an
1: orthodoxy. Like, yeah. it's so bad we can't have it. Or the other extreme, like... I don't care about the ecology. I want it to look this way. Right. And we're suggesting
0: so, some ideas.
1: Lots of compromises. Yeah, in.
0: lots of compromises and some and some ways of having fun with grasses. Because I actually mm-hmm. it's interesting. I think I'm less a flower person than a grasses person. Although grasses can have flowers. <laughs> we have um what is the grass you have in the backyard? Muley pink?
1: Uh, pink muley Yeah. Is, so the grass is a Gulf Coast grass.
0: The flowers on that are really gorgeous, and and it's a kind pink of he- f- uh heathery. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> coming up with the right words, but but like this soft, almost impression of flowers. Oh, right, and um, it's
1: very striking if you've never seen the pink muley grass. It's like stupendous.
0: But there's something about the geometry of grasses, especially when they, you know, they can they can grow in clumps. They can. Uh, there's like a spikiness to some of them and and I always think of um, beach landscapes I grew up in California I think I think of those tufts of like beach grasses as being really special mm-hmm. somehow so anyway I I could probably go on and on about grass. Um, Love the idea of the prairie. So we're going to touch on some design ideas. We'll try to name some species that you might want to uh, research further if you're thinking of different ways of incorporating grass. Um, So where would you start if you had a client who wanted to do something different? They had a nice big lawn. They didn't necessarily want to get rid of it entirely, but they wanted to to change it up and, and use grasses in an innovative way.
1: Okay, that's a great question. Well, like I did a phone design consult this morning, and so I started off, said, let's make sure we understand what is the program, what is your primary Mm. goal, Mm. so that's always a good place to start, to make sure that 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 is at least the primary goal is achieved, that you don't get into the fifth priority, which is so exciting. Mm. And then we didn't accomplish our main goal.
0: <laughs> and that, you know, as much as I'm saying, like, lawns are, are maybe less than ideal ecologically, they uh, they serve a function in terms of recreation. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, soccer, uh, non-American football is played on <laughs> on grass mostly. Yeah, like croquet.
1: And, yeah. Like sort of semi. I mean, there's very active recreation. then there's like sort of leisure. Mm. There's like, I mean, there's competitive at every level, but like tossing a Frisbee, uh, playing badminton, mm-hmm. or things, um, touch football.
0: So I think saying program is really important because um, you, there may be areas where you do want to preserve a lawn-type feel for the purpose of that recreation because that does become a little bit more challenging if you have, you know, waist-high <laughs> prairie grasses. <laughs> like, as beautiful as they may be, but that might not be... Uh, what what your program calls for so great program excellent what's next
1: so then the scale so um I don't recall the designer but it was it's very catchy so they they were designing I mean like more or less like a high-end residential landscape um I think and the end of Long Island the Hamptons and so the designer said the clients wanted mown grass and the client said it it can only be the amount that that you're willing to mow yourself with a push mower, like a like a real mower, not a gas mower, on the weekend. And the, and he was kind of kidding, but it was also like, how much do you really need? Mm. You know, if I'm mm-hmm. taking a portion, like how much am I going to really eat? Mm-hmm. I and mean, my eyes might be so big. I want this. I want the whole pie. Well, like one piece is is. One, maybe two. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a pie lover. I know, right? <laughs> so, so if it's athletics, so let's say it's a large property and the front yard is an acre and a half and that's where, and there's, let's say, there's hedging or a stone wall. Uh, I mean, for athletic fields, I've done that where I've researched what's the, the tournament for horseshoes or for, mm. you know, for different athletics. So, So really measuring out, like, what's, what are you going to do, how much do you need, and then working backwards. It's like, okay, we want uh, like a third of an acre, which is it's like so many feet by so many feet. An acre is 200 feet by 200 feet, which is pretty huge. <laughs> that's a lot more than you'd need for uh, for most sports. And then once you have, okay, well, let's agree on this on the size that you want to be turf, and then the areas that's not mown turf could be grasses that you don't mow, which is... Maybe more or less like a meadow where it's, maybe it's mowed once a year, which would keep down some of the, like the trees and shrubs from coming up. Mm-hmm. And then amongst that grass or that sort of matrix, uh, like what you'd see in a natural prairie, you have wildflowers that are growing up through the grasses because the grass is, is, is relatively open. It's not that dense when you have a meadow grass mm-hmm. that grows up to, it could be knee height, waist height. I mean, there's taller grasses and so through, through that matrix um, and so that's still visually and programmatically it's not heavy it's not mm-hmm. a dense hedge right right uh, and so let's say you're looking out from your home or your office there would be an area of grass that you're going to recreate on or gather on then adjacent to that like we've seen in, in some of the parks in Texas do this now mm-hmm. the areas where you don't recreate instead of having shrubs it's native grasses like big blue stem, little blue stem, buffalo grass, mm-hmm. and then amongst those, uh, wildflowers grow up. So then there's continuous. I mean, in Texas, almost 12 months of the year, there's some wildflower blooming.
0: Mm, and the allergies that go with
1: them. No,
0: just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's the trees right now giving me trouble. But uh, yeah, so I do think um, when we think of program uh, maintenance, is a key key consideration that is a part of the program is your program that you're home to mow the lawn every afternoon, you know, on, on a Sunday, you know, or, or is it to pay someone to come do that because that's definitely a big business, um, or, or is that, you know, uh, prohibitive something you're trying to get out from under, in which case these alternatives might be a good choice.
1: So if you're, let's say, money's no object, like oh, who, the lawn mowing—that's such a small, inconsequential cost. Well, there's other costs though. There's like the ecological cost. It's mm-hmm. probably gas powered, so that's causes pollution. There's sound pollution. Oh, so, that's the worst. These large For me, properties we work on. I mean, the poor people. You know, lots of these properties that we work on—they're old, so. Like the people that own it didn't decide we want, you know, 26 acres of mown grass. Mm. Uh, It's just sort of the default. That's what's there. Right. But it causes like noise pollution. So you're sort of uh, sequestered in your home. You're not going to want to sit on your patio when it's being mowed and blown. And that's, there's a cost to that. It's like, like the, like the quality of life cost.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. And so
1: grasses that you'd mow once a year, that's like one visit, not... Forty visits, mm.
0: but I think it's an important uh, to note that not all grass needs to be mown at every point in the year. So, for example, oh, we've just point. sort of left our uh, our lawn alone. We do. I mean, we just we're living in a standard suburban house. We've we've planted some areas to not include grass, but we still have quite a bit ourselves. Uh, you know, full disclosure. Um, and thankfully, we haven't had to do much with it over the winter. So what right. is it about grasses that results in this sometimes needing to mow, sometimes not?
1: Well, they, there's like a growing season and a dormant season, hmm. like you'd have with shrubs and trees. Uh, there's, the big categories would be, is it a warm season grass or a cool season grass? So in temperate climates, like the Midwest, the Northeast, the Pacific Northwest, When you have, you think of a green grass there. That's generally a cool season grass. So it means when it's cool, it's growing. So Mm. come April, May, depending where you live, um, it's still cool. It's it's bright green. That new grass is coming out. Then, and then, no, without watering or irrigation, the cool season grass goes dormant when it gets hot or Mm. turns brown.
0: Mm. Uh, So it's not dead. It's just not it's dormant, green, right? Like how <laughs> okay. like the, like
1: the leaves on the oak tree, yeah, turn brown. Mm. They've like they've done their photosynthesizing, and the grass is more or less this, It's similar. There, it's it's photosynthesized. Those roots, you know, are, are storing the energy. Mm-hmm. I would imagine, not mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of grass scientist, and it's basically resting. It's oh. saying it's so hot, we're not going to even try to grow. Right, we're going to shut down. We're going to shut down like the like the uh, plant, so to speak. And then when it starts getting cool again, which could be August, September, like depending where you live, and there starts to be dew in the morning, Mm. then it starts to grow again.
0: Well, the nice thing about it is it's so interesting because that dormancy is unappealing if you want a bright green lawn, if that's like Mm -hmm. the aesthetic. It's really neat, though, when grasses are a part of four-season interest as, mm-hmm. you know, some of the longer-stemmed grasses because they can get a, a, a nice gold or blonde color then that, that lasts throughout something like a, a long winter. Right. Even some of the seed heads, so you have the flowers we were talking about, uh, those might turn into seed heads, and then those are, are sticking around. So, um, again, you have a different with, like, architecture.
1: Propagation too. Yeah. So those seed, seed heads will... Perpetuate more grass mm. if they're not If mowing. that's what you want. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, there was that landscape. Remember, we stayed in the Airbnb. Well, I don't even remember how long ago it was. Was it this past summer near Austin? Yes. It was like mm-hmm. north of Austin. Yeah. And I think it was Hudo, Texas. Yes, you're right. I don't know if that's how you say it. And boy, that was so striking where it was like a family farm Sort of mm-hmm. farmy ranch, and they had different buildings on it. Yeah. And in front of the home, there's an area that was, that was mowed, but a fair amount of it was not mowed. And it, but the grass wasn't that tall. I would say it was like it was less than knee height. Mm-hmm. And it was it was all blonde. It was definitely dormant. It was over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit, but it was very striking. There were cedar trees and other evergreens that were coming out of it in this mm-hmm. expanse of blonde grass meadow.
0: Yeah, having grown up in California, that's a familiar pattern. So you have the bright green hills in the winter and the springtime, and then they turn blonde and beautiful in the in the hot season. And um, you know, there it does become a bit. Well, I think it's a fire uh, fire friendly habitat, and of course, uh, we all know that that can turn um, and be undesirable when when conditions are not great. Um, but it's really kind of a lovely, you know, it's you don't have the same kind of four season color changes because it's really just a a cool wet season and a hot dry season. Right. So um, so the grasses are a big part of that. and the change of entire hillsides is is the way that that gets reflected out there. So yeah, pretty massive cool. scale.
1: Yeah. Well the I mean, a great resource we talk about quite a bit, the Ladybird Johnson Wildflower Center. mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's in the vicinity of Austin um, they have a great description of how to plant a meadow, how to plant a wildflower meadow. I mean grasses are like really the key component of a mm. wildflower meadow. If you just planted wildflowers my guess is you'd have a lot of weeds. So the mm. grasses are this they're like the filler so That you think makes of, sense uh, like you're making pasta with a red sauce. I mean it's like it's more pasta than it is red sauce, but the red sauce is the flavor, the interest. Mm-hmm. And that, that would be, in my experience, that's what, like what a meadow is. It's mostly grasses, and the wildflowers are a component of it. And those really more or less poke up through the grasses. But as far as foliage go, they're not foliage-intensive.
0: Mm-hmm. So if you do want to reduce the impact of your lawn, are there some species that are maybe... Maybe they don't grow everywhere, but are have less of a less of an impact, or or you don't have to mow them, or something like that.
1: Oh, sure, good point. Well, fescue is a family of grasses to be familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> there's all different types. Uh, some of them, I don't know if they're all drought tolerant, but there's many types that are drought tolerant. So that is, uh, no matter what you want to do, if you want whether it's a a golf course or ecological meadow. So fescue, it's not as vigorous. So if you're playing NFL football, I don't know that you'd want 100 percent fescue. Uh, I could be wrong.
0: Like it wouldn't grow back if it were sort of torn up by high traffic.
1: Right. There's things where the roots mm. are more aggressive. No, I'm not. I'm not a grass expert. I, actually, at Cornell they have a, a turf and lawn, landscape major expert. So there's people oh. that because a- athletic fields and golf courses is a big part. That so is there's so folks funny. that are researching like to try to create better lawns that require less water mm-hmm. the usda has has a water wise program and so there's lots of great and depending on what country you're in there's a a google search would be water wise lawns and mm-hmm. there's all kinds of strategies so fescue there's fescue that you mow and so if you buy sod or a seed mix it, it'll have fescues is often one of the grasses. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's lawn that's all fescue. Then there's uh, there's no mow fescue. So that would grow up to I mean, the height of that is maybe three or four inches tall. It gets sort of long and shaggy and it then flops over. Um, so for areas like the, the intensity of your use on the lawn is important. Mm-hmm. If it's, let's say, it's like a retired couple. It's like pretty low impact. <laughs> so some of these no mow, there's grass that you could walk on. If you have, um, if you're playing heavy duty athletics and mm-hmm. touch football, and there's 15 grandkids, and it's and well, and even pet usage because I know our dogs. <laughs>
0: our dog has the same traffic pattern, and she actually like runs like a ring oh, into right. the grass. So <laughs> there's like a
1: there's a path on yeah. On our outer fence yes, border, she right? Yes,
0: to run, run around and make sure the, the borders are secure. Right, in our little for, yard for
1: uh, possums or and wherever's squirrels. out. Mm. Right, so depending on where you are in the world, there's ecological choices, and so fescue is one of the categories. Mm-hmm. Um, the time of year that you seed a lawn is important. So generally it's, you almost like you could definitely want to research it based on your area. Mm -hmm. Um, When I've worked with like Meadow consultants and other folks, you do it with some of that when it's, the summer is just peaking. Mm -hmm. Like if you're in the Northeast, it's in August, you're starting. So it's, it's almost at its hottest, but it's going to quickly start cooling down. Mm -hmm. And in Texas, um, I believe it's, you do the work in the winter Mm -hmm. because it's, there's some moisture, it's cooler, and it has many months to get established.
0: Although it is important to do your research for your area because I, I do know that there's a great deal of uh, like fertilizing that can happen just as grass is going to go into the dormant season just because it seems like it would be the right time to do it, but it's really going to have very little impact on the grass because it's not going to be growing. So right. just that little bit of... We almost take for granted that grass is like an easy... Uh, crop or an easy, you know, plant medium to work in because it's so ubiquitous. But um, it can be one of
1: the most difficult. Yeah, it's very
0: challenging actually to really get it well, right, and and possibly because. A lot of the stuff a lot of the care is just done by rote and it's it's not actually you know necessarily based on the species or the climate conditions or whatever it's just like oh it's just a lawn just cut it and fertilize it it'll be fine
1: (laughs) right and i mean the fertilizers like run off Mm -hmm. go into the water supply cause pollution so uh, like lady Bird johnson sites which i mean it's my experience if you're planting a native meadow if you improve the soil too much, if you add topsoil and fertilizer, you're gonna generally have a lot of weeds. You're gonna get like a monoculture of weeds. Mm. So, I mean, meadows tend to grow, I don't know, if, if, if saying it's a poor soil, that might be an exaggeration, but mm. that's sort of their strength, mm-hmm. that it's plants that are suited to that condition, they can tolerate the condition, there's not as much competition because it's a bit challenging mm. so like these native grasses that i've cited and the perennials so you'd be very careful if you make this perfect delicious soil that you think you're helping it those native species they're not necessarily that competitive because they're used to poor conditions mm. mm-hmm. and then you'll have weeds will come in that are much more competitive right um now the life cycle is important so if you're planting a meadow from seed, or even if you're, in some cases, you can buy plugs, so it's like small wildflowers that would, mm-hmm. you could fit this, this rooted wildflower or grass in your hand. Like some of the Texas nurseries I see, they'll sell flats, I think of 20. Hmm. So it's like 20 coneflower, 20 uh, muley grass. And so they're gonna be maybe the size of a Dixie cup, uh, each each little plug. Mm-hmm. So if you're using that route or seed, it's about three years is the magic number. So the first year, the perennial grasses and, and flowers, the roots will be doing a lot of work. The foliage, not as much. Hmm. So it's, it's more or less will take three years for it to become quite vigorous. Mm-hmm. So to keep the weeds down, there are annual flowers and annual grasses that are very vigorous and so those in some cases will only really last for a few years so when you buy as I understand it some of the wildflower uh, folks I chat with when you buy a wildflower mix a seed mix like the average person buys it uh, it's readily available in some cases it's mostly annuals. Mm-hmm. so it looks amazing the first year or two and then they die out mm-hmm. so you want a mix of the of the flowers and grasses that will return that are perennials uh which tend to be slower growing Mm -hmm. so there's not a lot the first year or two um and then it even says so this is like Lady Bird johnson wildflower foundation that by the third year that uh, managing the growth with, with a controlled wildfire burn is possible. And now that's as they say of don't course, do that in your backyard. Right. <laughs> Have an expert, consult an expert. And so See like, if your homeowners association is on board. Right, call
0: your insurance, you're gonna do what?
1: <laughs> so there and you could I mean you could start a wildflower wild Fire if you're adjacent to wild land, so it's not. Too, it's very very serious.
0: Yeah, I think they're probably talking to like large organ, like municipal or, or government organizations that have the wherewithal. Because right. I do know when I lived in California, you'd see controlled burns all the time. So,
1: but th- yeah. th- like like the why would you do a burn is is important and interesting. So it's so you'll have so invasive species crop up that could be native or not native that are overtaking that eventually will overtake t- beneficial species. Mm-hmm. So the the controlled burn will eliminate those. And then if you want it to stay a meadow with grasses and wildflowers, you'll start like shrubs and trees will start growing up. Like in Texas when I visit properties, the the uh, sweet gum, I mean those sweet gum seedlings and pine seed seedlings are are everywhere in a mm-hmm. meadow. So the controlled burn is a very easy way to get rid of those. And then some of the Wildflower and grass seeds are fire dependent. Yeah. So they're pre- so when when they are heated up, they are poised for success. To, you know. To...
0: Yeah, they know their competition's gone. That's right. <laughs> no competition. competition Take it out. <laughs> All right. Very good. Um, anything else to to mention in this episode about grass? We're just sort of targeted here, kind of kind of addressing the idea that maybe. Maybe we think differently about grasses or find a way to introduce that to our design clients just because there there may need to be alternatives to grass whether we like it or not um because of things like drought and and stuff and so Mm -hmm. you might be in one of those regions of the world where you have a brown lawn because you you're not allowed to water it you know water restrictions are sometimes imposed and that you know that green isn't going to be around forever so do we do we just learn to live with that or or you know maybe some of these ideas are ways of of circumventing that or innovating around you know changes so
1: right I mean I would like some of the big takeaways would be to really carefully consider how much lawn do you need on to walk on or to recreate Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. and maybe you don't need any Uh, so this wildflower and taller grass area is amazing it's like it's attracting pollinators insects birds it's changing throughout the season so the the colors of it are changing. It's kinetic. It's moving in the wind. Mm. So having a mown area that you do use mm-hmm. for however you choose, and then a border that is not mown. That is another mm-hmm. – uh, the Houston and the Texas parks are doing that more and more. And it's mm. to me, it's gorgeous. It's it's welcoming. It's like, oh, I want to have a picnic on this lawn. Um, it's actually more beautiful, I find. Um And then there could be shrubs and trees are part of that. So Mm -hmm. if whatever your lawn area that you're currently mowing, even if you reduced, even if 20% of it was not mowed and it was Mm -hmm. an outer border, and on some bigger properties it could be, maybe you only need 20%. We're actually only only going to use 20%, and the other 80% could be in the background where there's uh, finches and and, uh, birds that are zipping in and out Mm -hmm. and uh, all kinds of pollinators. So it actually is an asset and it's and it's lower maintenance
0: neat okay well uh grasses near and dear to my heart a fun topic to talk about we'd love to hear from you if you have any questions about grasses or any ideas that we didn't talk about um or your own grass pictures you can always share with us on social media we love that Um, and so as we've entered a new year, we had a little bit of a new idea for our last little segment, which is kind of like what's on Charles' bookshelf. (laughs) Trust me, if I were reading landscape related materials, I'd be happy to share them. So it's not just Charles specific, (laughs) but it just so happens that your, your library is a little more relevant to, uh, our topic here on the podcast. So, so what have you been reading? What's of interest?
1: Okay, so a book that I've spent a fair amount of time. I mean, our, the work we're doing, we don't do a lot of work in California, but we get calls more and more from folks in California and there's different consulting arborist projects that are out there. So I'm and my taking, dad's out
0: there. Your, your dad, <laughs> and right? And I'm from there, so it's kind of nice that you're getting up to speed on
1: Yeah, we love California. California. I mean, it's such a special culture, landscape. Mm. So the book in particular that I've been reading, because I wanted to sort of an encyclopedia of California woody plants mm. so there's a book trees and shrubs of California by John Stewart and John Sawyer that's University of California Press uh, at Berkeley mm-hmm. I think and so what's so neat about that is it's it's by a region and mm. the the regions I mean California is somewhat of an island now some people would say culturally or socially, that's a whole other category. (laughs) But there's mountain ranges that isolate it from the rest of the country. And then there's an ocean. Mm -hmm. There's deserts that isolate it. Uh, There's rainforests. So the, I mean, some areas, like the, is it Joshua Tree? Mm -hmm. That's in Southern California? Death Valley. Some of those areas, it's like between zero and six inches of rain a year. Mm. And then there's areas, some of the coastal rainforest areas I think it's over a hundred inches of rain a year. Mm-hmm. And so it's just astounding. And the, there's plants in all those areas. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are fire dependent. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. It'll go, it'll go through a species. And then like where it appears in the state, um, even on, on mountain ranges, one side of the mountain range is, is a rainforest. The other yes. side is a desert.
0: Yeah, they have uh, the microclimates. And so, like, even... What was that big... There was a big wind event that just hit the oh, Yosemite Oh,
1: right, all those region.
0: trees. And huge, giant sequoias came down, which apparently is, is not uncommon for the end of their life cycle. But, you know, you have these steep mountains and the wind's coming off of them, creating uh, just... Uh,
1: kind of a force that these <laughs> can it's like a canyon or a pass. Mm. I think where the the wind concentrates too. Mm-hmm. I think I yeah. think I've read. Um so I tend to do that. Like the best way to learn about something is really to give like I was on an oak kick, which was <laughs> when that. we first met a number of years ago. Pin oak. Pin White oak, oak. <laughs> swamp oak. Chestnut oak. Uh so maybe maybe somebody would say it's obsessive or it's the best way um, to really learn. When I started, one of my early jobs was with landscape a landscape architecture practice that was part of a nursery, mm. and that's where I learned that there's more than one kind of boxwood. Or I remember uh, viburnum being feeling so daunting, uh, daunted. You know mm-hmm. that oh my gosh, there's all these species, and uh, but you just start learning. Okay, there's like here's the families. Mm-hmm. There's uh, and then within that, okay, there's like four main groups of viburnum. And then, then there's subsets. The same with the oaks. Mm-hmm. And so this book about California flora, it is a little daunting, but you start learning the patterns and th- the families of plants. And then when you get out in the world, you see it and you think, I think that's in this family. I don't know what subset that is. And you look it up, mm-hmm. take a picture. There's lots of um, Facebook groups and other groups where it's plant identification. Some of it's by region. And I'll ask questions. I'll say, "What is what is this?" Mm. Then people chime in. You know, oh, it's got to be this. Oh, it's not that. And that's that's how I build up build the knowledge.
0: Great. Well, uh, for all of you other lifelong learners out there, <laughs> hopefully some of these book recommendations are are a good fit for your next reading project and um i think that's about it for this episode so we look forward to um putting together something else for you in the next couple of weeks uh and again if we if we get back up to a a more frequent schedule we'll certainly let you know or if we can find ways of giving bonus content in between. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like trying to innovate in the field of podcasting, but you know, um, life is, is lifey. And so we're, we're working through that too. So anyway, thanks again for tuning in and, uh, we look forward to speaking with you sometime soon. Very good. All right. Until next time. Thank you. Bye.